0: With all of those things being said, Catherine, could you come and go ahead wherever you might be and read our sermon text? So many fun people today. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, here it is. Yeah, don't read my sermon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to read the sermon. <laughs> All right, Genesis two eighteen through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks for your God. Thank you, Catherine. So a few weeks ago, my name is Jeremy. Did I say that? My name is Jeremy, just so you know. Uh, I'm the pastor here. This is a lot of fun. So uh, a few weeks ago, some of our Midtown pastor team got invited to go to this thing that Barna, if you're familiar with kind of the the Christian research group, they do sociographic, demographic kind of studies. And they picked a number of cities around the nation to study two things. One, what is the state of the church in an area? And two, what is the state of the people in that area? And one of the places they picked was Nashville. So they did this. There were over 200 pastors at Geodas Park. The, uh, the team was down below, like practicing while we were up in the box. It was super cool. Uh, but some of, some of the information we got was really helpful in understanding who are we, even as the church in Nashville, and what opportunities and what struggles might we have that we're, um, that we're facing right now. One of the primary things that they said about our culture and the church in Nashville is that we are a lonely people. Over half of the adults surveyed expressed being lonely consistently. And this is even among church people. Church people, especially, said only 36% said that my relationships are as satisfying as I would want them to be. 36% of people within the church said that. One in three said they were satisfied, which if you peel back, it does make some amount of sense because there are so many people moving to this city. We're a year in. There, there are so many new people that are coming here for all kinds of reasons. Nashville is the third, currently, the third fastest growing city in the nation behind Dallas-Fort Worth and Sarasota, Florida. There is a massive amount of new people moving here consistently. And what happens when you move to a new city? Statistically, the first five years of living in a new place are some of the loneliest, most stressful, and most anxiety-filled years of your experience in a place. I feel some of that. Because to cultivate lasting relationships, To feel rooted in a particular place, those things require time. And so when you have a group, a large group of people that are brand new to a city, then that is going to bring a large amount of loneliness with it. You also may be aware that the CDC has come out with studies, uh, just saw one recently that they said 50%, there's a 50% increase risk of dementia. There's a 32% uh, increase risk of stroke. And a 29% increased risk of heart attack with those who feel chronically lonely. It affects who we are all the way through. So, Barnes ends up saying one of their lines about Nashville is: we are in a loneliness crisis. And then to turn that question back on you: do you feel lonely? Are you bringing in with you this morning some amount of ache that I just wish I had somebody who really knew me? I wish I had a group, maybe like I did in high school, that we were all buds and we all did everything together and it was so great, but gosh, that was so long ago. Or maybe you're a student right now and saying, gosh, I wish I just had someone who I could fully trust. I think if we're all honest, we all feel some amount of that ache of loneliness, What the passage invites us into is to ask the question, what is that there for? Because it says something very unique about us and something very unique about God that jumps right out at us at the first uh, verse in this passage. So we're really going to spend the majority of our time just on this first verse together to ask, what does this verse tell us about ourselves, and what does this verse tell us about God? So first, the longing of loneliness. And second, the long game of loneliness. What is loneliness pulling us into? Those are the two things we're going to talk about this morning. So let's jump into the longing of loneliness. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Isn't it interesting that if you've been with us, we've been slowly working through the book of Genesis, going through the first 12 chapters this, uh, this semester, from now until May. And one of the refrains you hear in Genesis 1 is, it is good, and he made, and it was good, and he made, and it was good, and he made, and it was very good. And then now, chapter 2, you hear the first, it is not good. Good. Which there's some intentionality, it seems like, behind that, that there is this rhythm of everything is great and moving forward and flourishing and beautiful, and then er, not good. So how could it be, though, that something is not good before evil and sin and brokenness moves into the world? There is something that God is building into creation that He calls "not good." that feels super weird how do we understand that if you remember back to genesis 127 is that that little verse with those very important pronouns let us make man in our image this is god creating all of mankind in his image and who is god god is father god is son god is spirit So you remember Jesus in John 10 says, I and the Father are one. He says later in John 14, the Spirit proceeds, goes out from the Father and the Son. So there is this unity among Father and Son and Spirit. We remember back to Genesis 1 that God created all things, not because he had some sort of lack that he needed to have filled up. He created all things out of this joyful exuberance to yes, out of my completeness, I want to create Out of my joy, I want to bring joy. And so he creates individuals. But the difference between you and I and God is that we are one person in one person. God is three people in one unity. There there is a mystery that we just cannot totally get our minds around. There's no metaphor I've ever found that makes sense out of the Trinity. But what we can trust is that the Bible says this is the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And because there is a unity there, then he creates mankind in our, his collective image. That means that we are going to inherently be alone in ourselves. Because we cannot be community by ourselves. We need other people to come around us. So there's a lack built into us. And then if you remember last week that relational health, relationships are not only just to sort of feed our own egos or our own mental health or our own personal well-being, that is a part of it. But back to last week, the Lord God forms man, he puts man in the Garden of Eden and then tells him to do two things, work it and keep it. And then the very next breath, he says, and it's not good for man to be alone. Meaning, you cannot do the job of cultivating the entire earth, of filling it and subduing it to the glory of God. You cannot do that alone. Adam, you in and of yourself are not capable of doing that great commission. Maybe you feel like you are. I do. I can do this. I can do this thing. I can do this life. I can take on this world. I can do it by myself. But God is saying there is something about your family. There's something about your workplace. There's something about uh, your friendships that any good relationship has a direction to it. Any good relationship is going somewhere. And ultimately, that large umbrella of where every healthy relationship is going is the glory of God and filling the earth and cultivating it more with truth and goodness and beauty. We can't do that alone. So we're going to talk all about marriage next week uniquely. But I want to focus today, again, just on this first verse. It's not good to be alone collectively. Relationship is necessary. It's built into who we are as people. So then if it's built into who we are, And it's a part, there is a longing that is naturally, even if sin had not come into the world, there is a loneliness and a need for another person that would still exist. Now, pile on evil, pile on sin, pile on selfishness, and then go do relationship. If it's hard enough without evil in the world and selfishness in the world and sin in the world, imagine what it's like. You don't have to imagine because this is your everyday life and my everyday life. How difficult are relationships? How hard is friendship? How hard is marriage? How hard is it parent to child? Kids, how hard is it to build friendships at school? Studies have shown that the same or very similar brain pathways that light up when physical pain is experienced are very similar to the pathways that light up when emotional and relational pain is experienced. You have felt the sting of betrayal. You have felt the hurt of someone talking about you behind your back. You have felt the misunderstanding of trying to put yourself out there and it being rebuffed by somebody else. You have felt the sting of moving towards someone in relationship and then being misunderstood or misconstrued. You have felt the pain of having an expectation for someone in relationship and that person not living up to that expectation. We've felt the brokenness of being hurt, and we've felt the brokenness of hurting others. This is our world. This is where we live. So, how do you cope? How are you doing? Like, how are relationships? The Lord, this may be have been, if you're like me, have been a super busy week. We're kind of moving right in the middle of the semester. We got, for my family, we got kids going every which way. We're kind of moving towards spring break. So much is going on. This may be the only time that you have in these next few moments, especially as we come to the table, to pause. How's my heart? How am I doing? Lord, search me. How am I doing with my relationships currently? I say there's two ways that we can unhealthily cope with this relational longing that we have inside of us, with this loneliness that we may feel. I think one, we can downplay it. We can numb it with food, with drink, with Ted Lasso, with Insta stories, with all the vices, just fill them all in to all those little cracks and crevices so that I don't have to feel, so that I can shh, 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 that voice inside of me that says, you're alone. Nobody cares. Nobody needs you. Nobody wants you. You don't matter that much. Shh. Or you may, like me, just get real busy and you just work and work and work projects, uh, workplace needs, whatever it is, taking kids here and there, just to fill that empty hole in my heart. If I'm busy enough, then I can feel like I'm important enough, and I don't need somebody else to affirm that in me. But the truth is, you do, and I do too. Or you may demand it. You may downplay, or you may demand it. We may naturally sway into using other people instead of actually loving them. We may sway into other people being consistent disappointments because they're not fulfilling our expectations that we have. They're not being as good a friend as we would want. You may wonder why nobody invites you to all the cool parties that you see on your Instagrams. Like why are all those people having all the fun and I'm having none? And it may look like bitterness or moping or anger that you don't have the good relationships that you think you should. Or someone who does begin to open themselves up to you and you latch onto that person in unhealthy ways. We can do this in all kinds of ways and it may change person to person, day to day. But there is this pull inside of us that is pulling us in the direction of other people. Every one of us, it's built into us. We feel it consistently. What do we do with it? How do we find some amount of relational health with all of the unhealth we see inside of us and we see in our community. What if we began to see this longing of loneliness not as something to be fixed, but something to be embraced? Because every healthy emotion is meant to give you energy to move in a particular direction. Healthy anger is meant to move you into fixing whatever that problem is. Healthy Loneliness, recognized, not spewing out on someone else, not withdrawing. Healthy loneliness can be something that can draw you in to relationship with someone else. But with all of this mess going on inside of us and outside of us, how do we leverage our loneliness to pull us into that health? The long game, then, of loneliness. What is it pulling us into? Look at verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the fields, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. You ever seen a sad guy at a parade? (laughs) Like, there seems to be, in the way that this is being described, there's this parade of animals that God is moving uh, across Adam's gaze. And he's kind of saying, you know, antelope, anteater. I can't think of anything else that starts with ants. Uh, And he's calling all of these things out. And then there seems to be, as those animals pass by, there is this growing longing, like, ah, but I can't be best friends with that thing. Sorry, cat people. (laughs) Your cat can't be your best friend, I'm sorry. there is something that only another human being can draw you into there's something that only another human being can draw out of you but this is not only a pull to embrace this longing is not only a pull towards another person it is also a pull to the one who created you to the the us that created you he has made you for himself As well. So, the first place that that ache of loneliness draws us to is Him, because there's three parties necessary in every healthy relationship it's the you, it's the other person, and it's the Lord. And only with those three things being in the same space at the same time can health begin to grow. Look at, if you look at verses 18 through 23. The reason that God is so necessary for healthy relationship is because we're so not good at it. Like someone, a third party, has to come in and help us because we naturally are so deficient and awkward and weird. Maybe it's just me. But look at all of the Lord God's. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. And he said, you may eat of every tree. And then he said... The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And then the Lord God brings all of the animals and he gives them to Adam. And he literally, it says he ushers them across his path. And then the Lord God notices that it's not good for man to be alone. And so the Lord God then creates woman, puts him to sleep, creates woman, and then ushers woman to him. There is something in, in the initiative of the Lord that you and I need to see this morning. In and of ourselves, in our pursuit of healthy relationship, we will not be able to do it. It is inherent in our being that we must open our hands and wait for the Lord to provide the relationship that we're looking for. He satisfies us in him and then pulls us and provides us from other pe- to other people. Because... You may have experienced those kind of once-in-a-lifetime relationships, or you've got that one best bud who just knows you, and you know them, and it's so sweet. You know that those may be literally once-in-a-lifetime, and when those people come, those, are, those people are gifts, and it may be a season or it may be a lifetime, but we, we recognize how hard that is to come by and what a gift from the Lord it is when it happens. We, we've got to wait on his initiative to provide for us. Now, here's the truth too. We can, we can do everything, I'm sorry, we can have all of those people come across our path, and then we can screw up every one of those relationships. We can say the wrong thing, we can have the wrong expectation. We can put too much on somebody. We can put too little on somebody. We can, we can have this awkward text exchange that we thought was going well. We can have all of these things that we thought we were doing such a good job until that one place that I got a little selfish or I got a little greedy or whatever the case may be. Ugh. Just imagine for a second what it would be like to live with perfect relationship all the time how much anxiety comes up in you that you can trace back to your relationships with other people? What would it be like if that wasn't there? Oh, the freedom. If you turn over the pages of Scripture to the New Testament, you begin to read in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about this man who has this seemingly perfect ability to relate to other people. He he has this perfect ability to know when to say yes and when to say no. He has this perfect ability to speak in and say truth and yet have an amazing amount of compassion on those that are consistently hurting him. We, we see a man who consistently lives nothing but healthy relationship. And <laughs> coming at him all the time are so many needs. Mom's in the room. mom, 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 mom. This is how Jesus experienced his life. The reality of what it was like to walk around, if you read the pages of scripture, he's not this guru floating six feet off the ground. He is a real man who is living in real relationship with real broken, messy people who have all kinds of weird expectations of him all the time. And he's able to love and he's able to serve and he's able ultimately to lay his life down. And that's not just for people 2,000 years ago, but that's for us today. The welcome of Jesus is available to you today by his life and death and resurrection what he's proving to you on the cross is that he desires to call you friend that's the welcome of jesus that begins to then conform us to look more like him because what happens again when you're around somebody they pull out the best of you when you're around someone that that loves you well it pulls out the best of you And so Jesus, more and more as we spend time with him, he conforms us to his image, allowing us with his spirit dwelling inside, oh my gosh, I can actually have a healthy relationship. I can actually have the internal fortitude to tell somebody no. I can actually move towards someone and not be so afraid of their rejection that I would open myself up. All of these things are gifts that the more that we are secured in him, the more that we are able to walk in the way of beauty. So when I was in high school, we'll close here. Uh, when I was in high school, I had this longing, as I'm sure many of us did in high school and may still do now, but it probably was a lot louder at that point, at least it was for me. And it was this combination of insecurity and being compelled into relationship. I wanted to perform well so that others would would love me, but I also felt this desire to like, oh gosh, if someone would just love me for me, that I could just be my total self around. And it left me for a couple of years of kind of searching for that and struggling and feeling sort of alone. And then this group of dudes that were loud and obnoxious and fun, they were the class clowns, they were weird and I loved it. And they, they made up weird games like Bolf. You ever played Bolf? You know the Gatorade tops? Unscrew the Gatorade top. That becomes your driver. And then you fling that thing like a Frisbee. And you pick some light pole on the other side. This is what happened. Kids, this is why you don't have hour-long lunches anymore. I, my generation took them away from you because we did stupid things like makeup games called Bolf. And we wore short shorts to every spirit day. We could get our arms around. We painted up at the football games. Like there was so much in that that was such a sweet season. And I, I became more of who I am today because of being pulled out of my shell with that group of guys. This is what beautiful relationship can look like that the beauty of other people, C.S. Lewis says, in each of my friends, there is something that only that other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. There are parts of you that right now you have someone who that person and maybe that person alone can draw out of you. Praise the Lord for that person. Praise the Lord that you could be that person and maybe you are right now for someone else. And if no one comes to your mind, what an invitation. What an invitation to do this. Not an invitation to find the, near, the person nearest to you and go, <laughs> <laughs> But an opportunity to do this and to trust the Lord as he provides the right people in the right season right next to you. There's so much of that that we can't control. But the beauty of trusting the Lord to provide in his time and to grab hold of those relationships that are right around you right now and cultivate those things and call people into the beauty of who they are because you are more and more and more secured by the love of Jesus. You can more and more and more secure others in that love and call them to live. So this is what we're about to do as we come to the table Jesus has given the church to be this kind of like relational rehab facility. All of us come in with all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of hurt, all kinds of weirdness, and the Lord puts us in the same place. The habit of showing up to this place and being yourself amongst a group of people every week, there is something good to our hearts about that. Church cannot be me and Jesus alone. You are made for community. You are made for the church. You are made to show up on Sundays and be that person to someone else and someone else be that person to you who is calling you more out and to be more alive. But we also know how difficult that is. And we know all the places that we've failed. And we know even right now the conflicts that we're in, the awkward relationships that we're in, the places that we wish looked better than they do, and the longings for the people that aren't currently in our lives that we wish there were. So we have the opportunity to bring all of those things to Jesus who knows we need them. He knows we need him. He knows we need each other. So could we collectively take all of the places, all of our woundings and all of the places where we have wounded others and bring those to him and move away from a demanding spirit, move away from a denying spirit that I don't need relationship, whatever that is for you and to move more and more, maybe even physically as you come up, open your hands to receive his love and open your hands to receive those people he might be putting in your life right now to love on. It may be your small group, it may be someone else uniquely in this congregation, but if anything is true, those people out there in and around Hall, in and around South Nashville, at least half of them are experiencing loneliness in any given moment. How can we then leverage what the Lord is securing in us to draw others in to that same kind of a welcome that they could experience it from Jesus and each of us? So um, here is the way we're going to do this. We have the, uh, the ability to come and physically put ourselves in a posture of need, which is a beautiful place. There is something about as embodied people, we need a posture that can communicate to our minds what is true. And so I invite you uh, in just a few moments to come up and you can kind of file down these center aisles, come around the back uh, and to kneel and to put yourself in a posture of need of receiving the grace and love of Jesus and receiving who he has for you in relationship right now. Uh, And then as you do, you can take a moment. If you'd like someone to pray for you, you can cross your arms. And there will be some people up here who observe and then also be able to pray with you. Uh, What we know to be true is that the Lord's Supper, again, imagine there was a giant table in the middle of this sanctuary and each of us could sit around it. What this is describing is something true about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So for all of those who are hungry, For all of those who have come to a place of saying, I am not enough in and of myself. I have tried to do this life by myself and I just can't. I've tried to work my way up to God maybe or be good enough so that he could receive me and that isn't working either. For all who have come with open hands and said, I need Jesus to love, to forgive, to calm and quiet and pull me into himself. This is for you. And again, this is also an opportunity to consider your relationships. Is there anyone right now who, if they were to ask you to forgive them, you would say, Mm-mm. Jesus says, take this opportunity to leave the sacrifice at the altar and go make it right. And then let the mercy of Jesus draw you back the next time we take the table together. But if those things are true of you, I invite you to come. I'm gonna pray, and then we can come forward. So Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak a better word over us now that we would loudly hear over us, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I call you friend. Peace I give to you. Peace not as the world gives it, but my peace I give to you. Lord Jesus, use our longings to draw us straight to our knees and straight to the cross and straight to one another. We pray this in Christ.